reluctantly crouched at the starting line. Engines pumping and thumping in time. The green light flashes, the flags go up. Churning and burning, they yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank. Fuel burning fast on an empty tank. Reckless and wild, they pour through the turns. Their prowess is potent and secretly stern. As they speed through the finish, the flags go down. The fans get up and they get out of town. The arena is empty, except for one man still driving and striving as fast as he can. The sun has gone down and the moon has come up. And long ago, somebody left with the cup. But he's driving and striving and hugging the turns and thinking of someone for whom he still burns. He's going the distance. He's going for speed. She's all alone. Welcome to Talking Giants presented by SeatGeek. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Pennick, And it is the week one mailbag pod and cleanup um, where Justin... We've always said, and last year I thought the mailbag pod suffered a little bit, because we're always like, the mailbag pod is the best pod of the week. But what we didn't realize is that the mailbag is the best part of the week when the Giants are losing, because we get to dispel uh, notions, we get to add context, watch the film, and find everything that was said wrong and fix it. Well, guess what, Justin? After a 40-0 loss, the mailbag pod is the best part of the week again. How are you? (laughs) <coughs> I'm choking like Mark Lewinsky. That was not an act. I swear that was not an act. I had something in my teeth before we recorded. And then I like swallowed it weird. And I think it was like spicy. Um, hi, Bobby Skinner. I'm wearing my Puka necklace because Puka Nakua is my new favorite player in the NFL. I'm not doing much better than Sunday. I'm still very broken over that game. Um, I'm also a little broken over... Andrew Thomas news, and I'm going back and forth on what we're going to do with that. I Do we have a mailback question on Andrew Thomas and his yes, status and what we're going to do? Great, so we'll talk about it. Yeah, I agree. Mailback pods are usually our best pods of the week where I feel like what we do at Talking Giants best is we don't just blindly react to things. We're kind of forced to do that on Sundays after game days because if we didn't put a podcast out after game days, what would we be? What are we doing here? Well, we don't blindly react, but it's just you can't see all the film and right, and, right. And it, it, it's a, there's a lot more that goes into this. At the, we, we've yeah. watched all 22 all the way through, rewatched it again, have numbers to add context to stuff where. But yeah, um, before we get into the mailback questions, Justin, this episode is brought to you by some special people. Matthew Kazuski, Ted Kaczynski's cousin, Ath- sure. Anthony uh, Ratuis, Ratuis, Ratu. I don't, I'm honestly, I'm, tweet at me if I mispronounce that because I did. Matthew Ortiz, who's David Ortiz's cousin, Tom Brody, who is like the old face uh, NFL memes things when Tom Brady got suspended. It's like Patriot sign Tom Brody. Uh, Will, uh, Baraka, Baraka, Douglas Reagan, Ronald is actually Ronald Reagan's cousin. SOS Archive, Save Our Ship, Joshua. I should have asked you if you knew what SOS meant because I bet you wouldn't have known. Oh yeah, I Save Our Ship. I know that. Okay, Joshua oh, Cologne. Do you think that lowly of me? Willie, yes, Willie Cologne's cousin, the Shea Boys, uh, Shea, uh, Shea, um, Shea Stadium's Station. cousin. Sad, pronounced sad. I should have pronounced that wrong. Sad. Rod Benson, Johnny Benson's cousin, and then Matthew Dubois, uh, Ellie Dubois from my second grade class's cousin. Justin, who are these people? It was actually Ronald Reagan's... Um, Ghost. Nephew. No, cousin. Patreon.com right. slash Talking Giants. That's where these wonderful people went. You get to hang out with us live while we record the shows. Hey, big game days. 
Big game day coming up on Sunday against the Cardinals. You want to hang out with us? Even the preview pod. Come hang out with us for the preview pod. We're going to go one and one. Patreon.com slash Talk Giants. Bobby Skinner will also send you some stickers in the mail. And there's a couple shirt raffles uh, a couple times a month. Thanks for our patrons. Love you. Take it away, Steve. Mail time. Mail time. The mail's here. Come on. It makes me want to wag my tail When it comes, I want to wail Thanks, Steve from Blue's Clues. Justin, let's get into the mail. First question is coming from Frank at Pitts underscore Heisman. Sure. Thoughts on moving Evan Neal to guard? I know it's only week one, but he just doesn't look like an NFL caliber tackle. Bobby, your thoughts? So I want to congratulate Frank. First of all, because he was the one person who got this question picked out of the 30 people who asked it. Congratulations. Uh, Just in every conversation we had this offseason on the growth of the offense, had the conversation about Evan Neal's growth. And that's like that puts a ceiling or floor on or, you know, puts a ceiling like like Evan Neal decided the ceiling on this offense. Um, And Mark Lewinsky was very bad, too, which we'll talk about later. I'm like officially just really, really worried about Evan Neal, man. Like, I just don't know if he has the balance and just like the quick titch, twitch and athleticism and the to play offensive tackle in the NFL. And I go back, I remember Chris Long after that first preseason did a video on it and he talked about these top heavy guys can just struggle. Like, pass rushers can eat against these guys. You know, he gave up one sack, a hit, and six pressures. I mean, third worst efficiency for tackles in the NFL for week one. The only game that he had a worse efficiency efficiency last year was the week 14 Philly game. I wasn't asking for perfection out of him week one, Justin, but it was just flat out bad offensive tackle play. And that, if you aren't concerned about that, you're lying to yourself. And the crazy thing is it was the second worst performance on the Giants offensive line from from that night. It's the most worrisome performance, but it was the second worst performance. It wasn't even the worst. Yeah, the the most concerning thing about it with Evan Neal with me, I kind of said it on Sunday and it, you know, it kind of continues to right now is that he just lost in a multitude of ways and it was the most apparent that I saw him being top heavy like that issue is All last year, it was getting to your landmarks, getting to your third step and opening your hips too early. He still did that uh, a a decent chunk uh, on Sunday night. But more than ever, I was just looking at Evan Neal just getting tossed around like a ragdoll, winding up on the ground. And that's something that my like, hey, my father told me growing up when I was playing offensive line. It's like, I hate seeing you on the ground. Like, get, you know, there should not be a play where you're ending on your knees unless it's a, it's like a chop block. And so many times Evan Neal is just getting thrown around like a ragdoll. And it's just like, he's not a weak individual. But because of how top heavy he is and because of he's leaning, it, he's it, unbalanced. It just looks really, really bad. It was the it was the most apparent the top heavy issue that people like you yourself you were talking about it for all last year and now one game. It's the most apparent that it's been through his NFL career so far. It just he just looks unbalanced. So and I I have not given up on Evan Neal, but I don't have any faith that he'll be good against better pass rushers in the NFL. Right, like there's improvement to be made. He actually does look better, some technique wise, needs to be more consistent in it. Um, but his just movement, his reaction, and again the balance, it 
right now it gives him no room for error right where it's like Andrew right. Thomas is as good as he is he doesn't have like perfect footwork he doesn't like he doesn't play every single rep what perfect but he has the athleticism the core strength uh, uh you know good balance and Neil just he just has not shown that and it didn't matter who he was going to be. I mean Sam Williams was in his draft class and Sam Williams was able to beat him a couple times um yeah so obviously you're not moving him to guard next week but if we go through a season like this you have to like if he is if he's not like substantially better than this at the end of the season you can't go to next year with him as the starting tackle or or without a or a real backup plan behind him you can't do that yeah and you're not gonna you know the seventh overall pick in the draft in 2022 in his third year you're not gonna relegate him to a bench position and you're not going to f- and you can't have him go out there for a third year and just absolutely continue to tank your offense. So that would have to be the next transition. Which which would suck for him because how many years is he changing positions and that was that was part of the optimism point for Evan Neal this year is that re- this is the first time since probably high school that he was playing the same position two years in a row. Um and it just couldn't get off to a worse start. Um, week one. I guess he could have gotten off to a worse start because you could have. I guess he could have been Mark Lewinsky. Yeah, and <laughs> listen, there's you're facing good pass rushers almost every week in the NFL, right? You know, like you're not facing what he got to face versus the Ravens last year, where it was a washed up JPP and and an Owe who was not very good. Um, and it's just like he has to be perfect for it to happen, and I think there's some confidence stuff. I mean, he's not like he's not getting his hands used against him a ton. It's just he does not play confident and he looks unbalanced, and that worries me more than anything. We didn't see progress as a rookie, and we're going into like I said. I mean, there was only one performance where he was graded out at worst efficiency last year, and that was against Philly, which we got to play that team twice. We got to play the Eagle or the the Forty Niners, uh, in you know eight days from from when you're listening to this. So, yeah, I, I've got very real concerns, and I, I don't think and I this, this organization. This organization isn't blind to it either. Like they knew how big, how much he needed to grow into year two, and if you don't think that behind the scenes they're very worried about this, then I don't know what to tell you. But there's I not started much of an off option. with the most. This is, I mean, this is the. I said it on on the Monday pod, and I'll say it again. This is the most negative thing to come out of that game. Like forty to zero. The most negative thing to come out of it was Evan Neal. Not that Mark Gowinski was god awful, not that this issue or leaving Daniel Jones in or this, it was Evan Neal. Yeah, because this offense needs to operate in a drop back passing offense. They they just cannot do the same thing that they did last year if they want to find more offensive success than they did last year. They can't. Because the NFL will start to figure out what you're doing in the quick passing game. And I think Carl Banks and Sean O'Hara started to say it perfectly today as well. Where kind of like every the floor has been established. And NFL teams are going to continue to exploit the Giants in the same ways that the Cowboys did. To take advantage of a terrible, terrible offensive line. So, you know. Yeah, man, it's just, it's not going to get any better unless uh, they actually get better. Uh, there's no help that's incoming, at least I don't think so. Yeah, uh, 
Next question, though, because this is this is the question I've been looking forward to the most. It's based off of film, everything, looking at numbers. So let's get into this next question. Go Big Blue at Go Big Blue 05. I know everyone is talking about the O-line, but as a coaching staff, how do they look at that film and adjust for the coming games? I'm very glad you asked because there are 16 games left and I still want to win. I haven't given up on the season and no, neither should you. Neither should anyone listening to this podcast. So there's a a bunch of different things I want to talk about. And I do think, in a sense, this week one game is a little bit of an outlier because, honestly, you are not going to face a defense like Dallas. You're going to face defenses as good as Dallas with San Fran and Philly. But there's not another defense that's going to play you the way Dallas does, where they're lining up Micah Parsons all over the formation, which is like just threw a wrench in the Giants' offensive game. And also, I think the Giants are not going to play offense like they did versus Dallas. So... The obvious thing people are going to point to is like, well, Saquon only had 12 touches, you know. He didn't get many touches in the playoffs either. I think he had nine in both of those games. Um, so people are going to point to that. And be like, well, you know, we got to run the ball. And I agree. Because, let's, but, but I will say, Saquon had 11 carries in the first half, right? Like, Saquon wasn't missing a ton of touches. So the, the first drive of the game... They where they got down the field. They ran the. They handed the ball off five out of the out of those ten plays. One was a handoff to Brita. The next drive, oh, they didn't do it all. They went three and out. Then the next drive, they went f- first down, uh, play action and got sacked. So then you're in second and nineteen, and it's like you can't run out of that, right? So zero for three. Um, they're also so down on, sixteen to nothing at the end of the first quarter. Well, but even if you're down sixteen to nothing, you shouldn't be abandoning the run in the first quarter if you're down sixteen to nothing. We saw the Giants last year when their comebacks; they did not abandon the run in the second half. In they fact, they the got even more. a little more run heavy. Yeah. Um, uh, and then uh, and then they ran the ball a decent amount on the fourth drive. So, but on your first four drives, they ran they handed the ball off eight out of nineteen plays because they went the the fourth drive they went three runs in a row and three and out. One of those was the QB sweeps. Um. Then it's 19-0. DJ throws an interception on the first play. 26-0. Then they block a field goal after five Saquon runs. Um, and, you know, at, and then it's halftime. So, and that, at that point, Saquon had 11. So, it's not just about giving Saquon more carries. But you also, the game was out of hand, right? If you didn't have a block field goal for a touchdown, a pick six, like, Saquon, Saquon wasn't involved in the second half because the game was essentially over. He didn't play. He didn't get any snaps in the fourth quarter. That being said, I wonder how much Dallas, what Dallas did, is going to be replicated by teams after having a year of film study on the Giants. Because there's some things they did, man. Dallas did not play the run very much. They did not play to stop the run. And people will be like, oh, the Giants, they're trying to get away from Saquon, like they did last year. Well, they got away from running the ball to Saquon last year because out of necessity, right? Yeah. And it worked. It worked because teams were playing the run heavy. They weren't doing like crazy things, but they were running. They were stacking the box and run blitzing, and they were letting you pass. And the Giants got away from that, and it worked. Outside of Philly, who was just ten times more talented than them, but teams were playing the run, so you shouldn't. And, and it didn't work for the Giants, so they got from the passing. But if teams are seeing the end of the Giants' season and adjusting to that. Well, then they should start running again because it works when teams aren't just flat out playing the run. You have Saquon Barkley, and the run blocking was actually pretty solid. So, hey, if they're going to give you those runs, run. And there was times where Dallas wasn't – like they were running play action. Dallas wasn't playing the run on it. Like there's a the 19-yard run that Saquon Barkley had. Go watch it. I put it on, on the film review. It's insane to watch because 
Vander Esch, this is an under center handoff. Vander Esch turns and starts running backwards. They hand the ball off to Saquon. Saquon is running with the ball, and the strong side linebacker starts running the other way because Paris Campbell motioned across the field. So teams on first down are are anticipating play action. You know, the DJ got hit on the RPO. The cube edge rushers rush- were just running up the field. They weren't and, even playing the run. They were running straight to the quarterback. Agreed. And that could just be a Dallas thing because Dallas plays a, aggressive I, and they have the things. I think but it if is it's just not Dallas just thing. a Dallas thing and teams are playing the play action heavy, then get back to running the ball. So we'll see if it's just a Dallas thing, but get back to running the ball and still get back to running the ball. Teams are kind of ready for Darren. Like they put, they put extra attention on Darren Waller. Get to back to running the ball if it's going to work. If teams start playing it again, then you switch up the offense. And that's what this coaching staff does well is adjusting within those things. Yeah. With the Evan Neal issue, and I know I'm going for a long time, but I'm pa- I'm passionate and I'm fired up about this stuff. Here's the, where you have to make the biggest change. And this is the saddest change you have to do, adjust to. The passing game. Can I give mine? Because I, I kind of maybe know where you're going to go. Go for it. Remember 2021 where Kyle Rudolph was like best as a pass blocker? I think Daniel Bellinger, you're up, bud. You're basically going to be putting your hand in the dirt and helping Evan Neal. And I think that kind of like Max Protect look, some of the biggest plays of 2021 came from Max Protect. Think of that John Ross 50-yard touchdown versus the Saints. The one like schematic thing that I would do is Daniel Bellinger is on the field and he's helping out Evan Neal when you feel like Evan Neal is in a huge hole. Is that what you were going to say? No. Great. Even though there's going to be some elements of that. Where I am going, you're still going to have to operate some type of drop back passing. If you go back and watch the film of this game plan versus Dallas, there were some longer developing things that were meant to get certain guys the ball like Darren Waller. And there was just, they were trying to attack down the field. Now, part of it was they ended up in like second and 19s and stuff. You cannot get away from total drop back passing. You can't do what you did in the middle of last season where no. there's no drop back pass. But you have to do what you did at the end of last season, where it's based off of the quick game. And that's a shame. That's a shame. But if Evan Neal is bad and Mark Lewinsky are like that, you have to make it based off of the quick game. Now, where it's got to be different, you've got guys to take deep shots, right? So it shouldn't be like last year where you are – you know, but the difference between you and third to last and deep passes is like a huge margin. Like you should still be, you should be in like 18th to 23rd and deep passing attempt rate because you have Jalen Hyde, Darren Waller, Slayton's speed can be more maximized more with other speed on the field. Because, but you have to be, you have to pick and choose when you're looking at those type of uh, types of things because teams are going to be get to the quarterback. Um, if if you don't if, if you don't pick and choose when those things and those sacks are going to kill drives just like they did versus the Dallas Cowboys, um. So that's that's the unfortunate part, right? So like there should still be a lower average depth of target for this offense is until Neil or Glowinski stop sucking, but there should still be a little more aggression in it because of the Jimmys and Joes you have. Where last year you only had Darius Slayton as a speed element, which I think we said that like in a recent mailbag too, where. We may, I think I maybe even said it on the preview pod, Bobby, about because you have Waller and think of, think back to that. We first, did say it in the mailbag pod. It's like if Evan Neal struggles, you're, there's more attempts, but you can't do all the things they want to do. 
But think back to that first preseason drive versus the Panthers. Yeah, very big talent discrepancy versus the Panthers in the preseason when they were sitting some of their defensive starters anyway in the Dallas Cowboys. I get it, but we're just talking about schematics here. Think of how quick Daniel Jones was able to release the ball when you have Darren Waller um, you know, running quick routes and when you have Paris Campbell. Like, there's just, ge- in general, Isaiah Hodgins for a full year, in general, there's just better route runners on this team right now than what we had at the start of last year, guys that should be able to get open in the inter- in the intermediate game while also getting the ball out quick, and you're still maybe throwing the ball near near the sticks on like maybe let's say a first and ten, a second and seven, right? Early early down passing is what we're talking about here. So, um, yeah, I I totally 100% agree with you. Uh, I I I'm never had the expectation that the Giants were going to be top 10 in average up to target. I was ho- I'm was i hoping for average and maybe even a little bit below average. It just can't be as bad as it was last year. So you're, you're, you're right with that. And, 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 you know, I say can't be as bad as it was last year. Having a low average depth of target isn't bad because average depth of target, like if you're number one in average depth of target, that doesn't mean that you are an undefeated, great offensive team. Sometimes it means that your quarterback is taking shots and maybe you're throwing interceptions and guys aren't open. You have a low completion percentage. It's about staying on schedule. Yeah, and Mahomes ha- has a low average depth of target last year. Right, right, because defenses force him to. Josh Allen, yes. you know, Josh Allen had a low average depth of target uh, against the Jets. He threw three interceptions when he was throwing 15 plus yards down the field. But Josh Allen, when he was checking it down, was great. You know, an EPA per play was really high in CPOE and stuff like that. So you need balance in an offense, and that's what we have been advocating for for the last couple of years. Um, it's just it's just a lot more difficult to be balanced when you have such a bad right side of the offensive line, and that's why, hence why I suggest keeping Daniel Bellinger in there for some max protect plays, and you're still able to run two, maybe two or three man routes that can be successful because we've seen yeah. the Giants do it in the past, even with bad talent. The biggest issue with that, though, is that teams are starting to play the like, like I mentioned, Leighton Vander Esch under center play actions. Run, like, so they're playing those things, and that's where I think, hey, force them to stop, force them to respect you as a team that's going to run up the gut and run the ball twenty two times until they force you to stop doing that, because that's also a way to get them to stop penetrating and rushing upfield if you make them pay for shit like that. And go watch the film review. I hit on it. So, and here's the other good news as far as adjustments. Not every team has Dallas's pass rush and Micah Parsons lining up in the fucking A gap. Like what they do is they cause havoc, and we're gonna play. I think the Eagles might have a better. De- Actually, no, I don't. I don't think the Eagles have a better defense. The 49ers, we'll see, but they're not gonna. Ca- they play kind of a more disciplined defense where the Cowboys cause havoc, and versus the Giants' offensive line, that is worst case scenario. Now maybe those teams will adapt, and they're still gonna win. But that's where we could talk about all the adjustments and all that stuff, Justin. But Sunday night was a realization. You are nowhere near the top three teams in the conference of the Eagles, Cowboys, and 49ers. Oh, yeah. And we, we, ne- we kind of felt we we were nowhere near the Eagles. The 49ers, the quarterback thing made you think maybe. The Cowboys with some coaching stuff, you thought you're they're nowhere near those three. Right. But right. it can be a successful season if you are the fifth team in this conference. Yeah. And also a game may look different when... You don't have a pick six right away when you don't have a blocked field goal that goes for a touchdown. The game it was chaos, man. Like was, there's a lot it, of yeah. things that went wrong that will not go wrong again, like that. Yeah, I'm not saying that the Giants were going to go there and win, and I'm not even saying that the Giants were going to even be close in that game. But man, it wouldn't it it would not have been forty to nothing 
if the chaos wacky things didn't happen at the start of the game. Maybe yeah. it's maybe Pouring it's down rain. Maybe it's thirty one seventeen. And maybe See, it's just a bad game. I know? agree. I agree. And that's not like some big thing to be proud of, but it is it is true. So Yeah. It's there's when you say that you're nowhere near the Eagles, the Cowboys or the 49ers, that's not an overreaction. But they are also not the team that just lost 40 to zero either. I also have like a fan fiction thing, you know, because the question is, uh, as a coaching staff, how do we look at the film and adjust for the upcoming game? I have like a little bit of a fan fiction thing. This isn't like film and schematics. I want Brian Dable in that offensive line room meeting this week. And I want him in that room, especially like Andrew Thomas may miss a game. We'll talk about that soon. Andrew Thomas may miss a game. And even if Andrew Thomas doesn't miss a game, I'm literally going in that room and maybe even saying, this is everybody except Andrew Thomas, which I'm pretty sure didn't a coach or Joe Shane say that at one point that every, every everybody's job that was Jason Garrett. Oh, was, when was that? Oh, Garrett. Said? Oh, no, never mind. You're thinking. Never mind. That's a different quote. Jason like every, Garrett said the week before he's fired when they're like, do you think you have the guys to protect? And he's like, we got a left tackle, right? Um, Who said no, that sh- for the Giants? Shane said something basically like everyone's job is there's a battle for everyone's job except for Tom- Andrew Thomas. Yes. Yeah. I'm literally going in that room and saying. Besides you and pointing at AT, JMS had a good game, but kind of just like let's Still let's rally him, let's rally the troops and let's challenge people again. Fan fiction. I want Brian Dable going in that O line room, being like, "Who's gonna step the fuck up? Like, let's go. You're getting your quarterback killed. You're getting embarrassed on Sunday Night Football. You're lo- you're getting your ass kicked to your divisional teams. Who's gonna step up? Like, I I want that like coach going into that meeting room, calling these guys out." And I want to like challenge these guys about like, hey, you, you know, you you want to have this dirt bag mentality? Like, who's gonna take this personally and step up? Like, all right, fan fiction over. <laughs> that's uh, what that's I not, want. That's not fan fiction at all. Like, I'm, it's you don't know that he's gonna do that, but that's right. something that coaches do. All right, Justin. Uh, next question. Next question. Start- I wanna I wanna read an ad, Bobby Skinner. Nico Ryzen. He's asking us, can you read an ad, please? And football Bobby is Skinner, back. Oh, in wow. full swing. You can't remember the order. We just went through it. Football is back in full swing with another week of epic games. And who's got you covered on the action for every single one of them? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out uh, uh, on the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Get in on the NFL Week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code WORLD to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home 200 bets instantly in bonus bets. Only in DraftKings Sportsbook with the code WORLD. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility terms and responsibility gaining resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. You'll be glad you did. Justin, next question. Michael Rosati at mrosati11. After looking at the film, do you think Dable needs to drill it into Daniel Jones' skull? Take the whole shot. Interceptions happen when you take risks. They shouldn't happen like the one to Stefan Gilmore on that right sideline. Okay, so we're going to 
take this question just to talk about Daniel Jones' game as a whole, not just the whole shot. But that is the thing that bothers me the most. And if you didn't see it, we posted on social media and stuff. Third and they, 17. It's the pick six. Yeah. And they, the corner plays it exactly how you play it when you take, like, easy throw the whole shot. Seen DJ make the throw before, and not last year really, but years before. And he doesn't throw it, and he throws it to Saquon. Saquon gets hit, pops the ball up, interception pick six. That is the thing where we talked about where we need to see the improvement from him the most. Like, nothing to do with, like, new players. Like, when that's there, you need to take it and, and throw it. And he didn't. And that's the thing that frustrates me overall. Um, Now, let's talk about, hey, he got pressured a lot. Was it his fault? Was it not? Let's talk about it. The pressure was overwhelming. 67% pressure rate, Justin. 13% more than any other QB. And you say, well, quarterbacks can create their own pressure. They sure as hell can. <laughs> you know that PFF accounted him for out of the seven sacks? How many did they account to Daniel Jones? This is this could be a trick question. I'm going to say two. Zero. Out yeah. of the 12 quarterback hits, how, did they, how many did they account to Daniel Jones? One. One. Yeah. Got the pressure was overwhelming. That being said, Daniel Jones took a bad game and made it worse. With you talk about that yeah. whole shot, there were other plays. There was times where they won the force at the Waller a few times, and they just kind of kept their robber defender underneath, and it like he got didn't get off reads. You know, the second interception was a to me it was a reckless, reckless play. He literally pumped faked and said he probably said to himself, "You shouldn't throw this ball." Micah Parsons is breathing down his neck. Probably just wants to get the ball out of there and. Then boom, that's a Stefan Gilmore interception. And even the Jalen Hyatt drop, that was one of the very few clean pockets that he had in the game, mm -hmm. and the ball's thrown behind him, behind Jalen Hyatt. Would have been a big yak play. He missed Paris Campbell on a throw. He missed Isaiah Hodgins, what could have been an interception where it hit the in, in the in the oh, guy's yeah. hands. Now the accuracy stuff doesn't really bother me. It was a pouring wet rain game. Dak was missing missed a good amount of throws too, despite them winning by 40 points and we have a enough sample size daniel jones accurate the only one that does worry me though is the hyatt one because you got to get used to his speed and right. you can't be thrown but you can't like if that was isaiah hodgins running the same route it's it's right on the money but jalen hyatt's speed you have to get used to his speed so that's the one that bothered me the hodgins like that shit doesn't happen very often with daniel jones but yeah he took he took a um he took he took a a game that was going to be bad no matter what because that pressure was overwhelming man like I came away Monday Tuesday and I and I watch it Justin and I talk with other people too and I'm like have you ever seen something like this where it was just down in down out and like I said 67 percent pressure 13 more than any other QB seven Zacks zero were accounted for him to like it's insane the pressure gave him no shot but he did he did play bad and he did not like. So, like, last year, the Dallas Week 3 game wasn't – the pressure wasn't as bad, but it was really bad. And we left after that game happy with Daniel Jones because he made the most out of what he could in that game and guys were dropping passes and stuff. He didn't do that in this game. And I know I'm talking a lot, but I want to I want to kick this to you, though. Do you feel worse about Daniel Jones after this game or after weeks one and week two last year where he completed 70% of his passes and had three touchdowns and one interception? I feel worse about him weeks one and two last year. They just didn't, run, they just didn't run plays. They didn't run a lot of offensive plays. 
you know, against the Cowboys. They, he, hey, he did not slip up, but I, I, I don't look at that game and been like, this is Daniel Jones. No. So I, I don't I don't come away from that game worried about the except for the whole shot thing. Like that's gonna piss me off if that continues to happen. Really is because that's the difference. And he and he left yards on the field by missing guys in this past game. You know, like the Hodges miss was a, a nice fifteen to eighteen yard chunk play. The Hyatt one could have been thirty to forty yards. Uh, the Paris Campbell one was another ten to fifteen yards. Um, but the, with all that said, the pressure was relentless in this game. Like, I've never seen anything like that up where a team was just so overwhelmed up front. And that was with their left tackle not being a liability. Like, you, right. like, like at least if the left tackle, it's like, man, it's the blind side stuff. Like, in that can, it was just, they were totally overwhelmed with the right guard and right tackle where they just, there was, they really didn't have a shot. Cause you and that's why I said, like, yeah, yeah, you can, you can argue that give Saquon the ball a little more, but at some point you do have to throw the ball. And anytime they threw it, they were under immense pressure and they were getting sacks. Like, you can't just run the ball every single play, especially week one of the NFL season. I guess I can rephrase what I said. Not that they just didn't run plays, they weren't able to operate an offense. That's, I think, the correct way to say and, you know, evaluate Daniel Jones's performance, so to speak. And, you know, hey, he was part of it, you know, turning over the ball. Um, Hey, checking it down to Saquon Barkley when you had the whole shot on the sideline available. Saquon Barkley doesn't drop that ball, and that ball's not tipped in the air, and then it's not returned for a touchdown. If you take that chance, you take that whole shot, and it's a first down, and the Giants are able to move the chain. So um, he's part of it, but he is definitely uh, – I'm not I'm not considering him the majority of the chunk of the pie of blame to go around. Now, the next game is the most important game, right? That's usually how it works with quarterbacks. The next game is the biggest one, and against a bad opponent – and the Arizona Cardinals in- indoors, no rain, no weather is going to be a factor. Let's use some of these weapons. Let's move the ball. Let's score some points. I mean, they they have to. They have to this Sunday. And that's the biggest thing for Daniel Jones next. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like he made a bad game worse. And there was a, a good amount. I posted a clip. I posted a clip on Twitter of six plays. You may have seen the the breakdown on it. Uh, um, it's, oh. It's a... Uh, it's red, yellow. Um, so, I mean, you know, like there were six plays where it's like these, these where you can have. And there was other like even stuff I didn't post it where there was a bit like I talked about on the film review. Where, like he read he read the safety rotation wrong. And on third and 15, he's the, like, you know, the, the play where he pumped to Waller and he pulled it back in. Yeah. It wasn't even a pump. It was like he went to go throw it and saw the safety rolling down. He should have saw that way quicker and then got off of that read and hit Paris Campbell for what like at least would have got them in fourth down and to go situation and and he totally missed it. And then the field goal was blocked. It really was just a disgusting game. All right, Justin, next question. NJ by birth, Vegas by choice. Love that. At crunch underscore bunch sixty six. Why are Kayvon and Aziz basically invisible? Is this scheme play calling or is it on them? I'm glad you asked this question because really if there's one if there's one little overreaction take that I regret having from the pod on Sunday, the concern and worry is still there a little bit for Kayvon and Aziz, but the overreaction of just saying that they did nothing is wrong. And Bobby, you want to tell me why? Yeah, and Dan Schneier tweeted about this and I retweeted him because I agree with him 100%. Kayvon faced six true pass sets. Yeah. Like, it's 
It was the least. It, I, I saw research Rick tweeted like there was only one game last year where they had less defensive snaps, and it was by one. Um, and they just he only faced six true pass sets versus the run. Man, he looked a lot better versus the run. Whether it was making plays, disengaging, setting an edge, he and that's something we talked about. I thought that was an underrated thing he needed to improve at to help this run defense was to be more consistent setting the edge. And he absolutely took big steps in the run game, you know. And he's not playing in a defense that allows him to be reckless, right? Like he doesn't get to play where he gets to jump gaps and stuff like that. Like if he's jumping gaps, it's because they've they've you know, they've got someone filling his gap. That being said, I do want to see more as a pass rusher, though, too, though. Because, yeah. like, you could say only six true pass sets and some, like, there still can be more play, like, big plays made in the pass rush game. But it wasn't, it wasn't this, like, oh, man, this guy just did not show up for this game type of game either. Right. And with Aziz, Aziz Ojolari came off the field whenever... Basham or Jihad Ward was on the field. It was Aziz who came off the field. It was not Kayvon Thibodeau. So I do think that is, in general, the rotation that we are going to see where Kayvon, hey, you're the fifth overall pick. You're going to get a lot of snaps. You got to be in shape. Hey, we saw Kayvon Thibodeau running in the end zone uh, during, you know, team drills, during second and third team drills this summer to get ready for this exact thing that Kayvon's going to see a lot of snaps. Um, and it's going to be Aziz because, you know, I think K- we, we expect Kayvon to be a better all around player than Aziz Ojolari. And that's not even a shot at Aziz, but, uh, Basham, Boogie Basham and Jihad Ward were really in there for those rundowns. Um, and then Aziz, even in one of those, uh, six true pass sets, Aziz made a nice, a nice little pass rush moving into the right tackle dipped his shoulder a little bit, got his, you know, disengaged, got his hands off. And of course, Dak got rid of the ball. And, you know, at least I would call, I would chalk it up to it being a pressure. So um, still got to want to see more of them in general. But, you know, for as much as we said that the Giants weren't able to operate an offense, at the same time, Dallas wasn't even able to operate a normal offense just because they got the lead. They got the lead so quick and they didn't even run a lot of plays themselves. Yeah, like Aziz played 32 snaps, Kayvon did, had 42, and that's, again, considering the fact that they took these guys out in the fourth quarter. Maybe that gap widens by five or six or something like that. Um, I know this question doesn't ask about him. The one player who I am going to take issue with, though, is Leonard Williams. Like, whenever he got an opportunity against that back at left guard, he should have dominated. Like, not talking about, like, how to play or two. Should have, like, every single play dominated that opponent, and he did not do that. That is the guy out of those front. Dex played fine. Leonard Williams, like, I take issue with the way Leonard Williams played. Leonard Williams' best play came on where he run, where he ran. I think it was a designed stunt. Yes, and he got the hit. And he got the QB hit on Dak Prescott. Him hit him a little low, but it was the Trey Hawkins fake pass interference against Brandon Cooks that Bobby thinks it was a pass interference. I still think it's fake. Brandon Cooks acted, but... You cannot put your arm around a corner's neck or a yeah, receiver's yeah, neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was you know, Williams- if they don't call that, and if they're not allowed to run offensive pass interference, that is two times where they score touchdowns that they don't score touchdowns. Um. All right, next question. Kaharski's Donuts at Kaharski Donuts. We all saw the bad snap, but how did John Michael Schmitz play? Aside from that, I was trying to watch him, and I found it hard with how quickly the edges were collapsing around him. Bobby Skinner, I watched the O-line report, and I was really pleased, and I was really excited to see what JMS was kind of doing at college matched up with this first game in the NFL. So, because it's week one, you can say besides the bad snaps, 
if it's week one of year two or week 15 of year one, you can never say the phrase besides the bad snaps because those can't happen. And it's not just the ones that led to fumbles. The t- like if you they were a lot that were low and it messed up Daniel Jones's timing and footwork and some of the quick game stuff. And we talked about stuff they can change. Well, if JMS is having low snaps and it's messing up the timing of the quick game, which they operate a flaw, like you can't have that. Because it's going to lead to some inaccurate throws here or there and just not getting the timing right on stuff. So you can't have that. That being said, just as a blocker, and the only pressures he allowed were versus Micah Parsons, who's just an animal. I thought he had good stunt and blitz ID. And even like the, the plays against Parsons were like, they weren't train wreck either. It's like, okay, this is what happens. And Micah Parsons play, does play head games with you. I thought the hand usage was good. His base was good. His, his, his feet uh, worked well. And then in the run game, man, like he was moving some guys. You know, that wide zone play that I talked about where Saquon had 18 or 19 yards. He really like did a good job on that. You know, but with JMS, you're not going to face Parsons a lot. But you, the real test is when you face the Commanders, the 49ers, and the Eagles, and, and yeah. they're their front because that's that's what that's where he's going to be tested at as an nfl player because we can say oh you're not going to face the micah parsons type player at center very often but you are going to face amazing defensive tackles often did you talk about combo blocks at all how he was able to move in the run game yeah i mean yeah he got some push on those like you know and i thought it really improved some of the stuff in the run game that the like when, another thing that like when i talk about running the ball more part of that is like I think they can run the ball better with John Michael Schmitz here at center compared to last year's center and yeah. John Feliciano. I agree. I agree 100%. Um, are we, we ready for the next question? Uh, yeah, next question. Uh, Tim at NYG Tim. Read and add. And oh boy, I want to talk about Farmer's Dog. This episode is sponsored by Farmer's Dog. The results of switching your dog's food from kibble to fresh can seem like magic, but the farmer's dog doesn't use any sorcery or secret ingredients to make their food f- to make their fresh food. Just science. General observation, Bobby Skinner. Uh, big conversation. If you have a dog, you're gonna know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't have a dog, then this may freak you out a little bit. But a big con- topic of conversation amongst dog owners is uh, 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 like, hey, is your dog shit okay? Is it loose? Is it strong? Is it firm? What color is it? Like, it's a big conversation. And, you know, if, if your dog is, you know, shit and loose, that's not good. Since I have switched Mikey from his kibble, hard food, whatever, to the farmer's dog, which is fresh food, his shit has gotten better. It's gotten harder. It's gotten firmer. And I could tell that his, hey, just like in general, his digestive system is processing that fresh food a lot better. And that makes me happy that my dog is happy and comfortable. I don't want my dog to be uncomfortable because I'm not like you who forces my dog to smoke cigarettes. I didn't force her. She wanted to. She was addicted. Yeah, why do you think I'd force feed my dog cigarettes? It's not my fault. Don't don't. I hate that when people blame. It's like when kids blame their parents for all their issues. I didn't force. <laughs> Lucy had an issue. She hung it, around the wrong dogs. It doesn't matter if your dog is young or old. It's always the right time to begin investing in their help, helping you live more healthy, happy, and full years together. Get fifty percent off your first box of fresh healthy food at thefarmersdog.com slash john boy plus you get free shipping that's thefarmersdog.com slash john boy for 50 percent off bobby skinner you and lucy will be glad you did except lucy's dead she is dead justin next question 
Marcus Lopez at Marcus L28. Should the Giants look into out-of-house answers for the guard situation? Names like uh, Pugh, uh, Risner, and others have been thrown around. Do you see a change coming, or do we have to sit back and watch Glowinski play all season? So I've ignored every Dalton Risner and Justin Pugh tweet for weeks and months now that we saw how bad the Mark, Mark Glowinski was. Man, Mark Glowinski was pathetic. Yeah. And he got better at the end of the season, but man, but how do you not put Azudu out? Like, again, they begged for Azudu to win the job over Bredesen. How do you not put him over, out there over Glowinski? Like, that was that was awful, man. That was that was disgusting, the performance. Like, he should be embarrassed. Um, and Mark, I, Lewinsky listen, is thir- Mark Lewinsky is 31 years old. And I don't have this big argument for Azudu either, right? Because I don't have a ton of faith in him in, as year two either, but... Damn, that was bad. But as far as these these players, Dalton Risner is a free agent because he wants money. And I don't, I haven't broken down, broken down his film, but his numbers weren't amazing last year either. Um, and I'm not moving more cap space to sign free agents that are going to take more, that need more than a minimum or to two million. Justin Pugh is 33 years old, missed 15 games last year, and seems more interested in being in the media than actually playing to me. Um, he's 33 missed 15 games. Like, do you have any, like, w- want and desire for Justin Pugh? Like, hey, if Justin Pugh is on this team on a minimum contract, yeah. But I just don't – I'm not gambling on that. They don't have I'm, money. No. If, hey, if it's a minimum contract, okay. But I, I'm not giving him any – here's the one. And I haven't seen the contract on this guy yet because he got signed. But I haven't seen – I tried finding the contract. Jason Peters – would have been a perfect addition to this team. Correct. Because he plays guard and tackle. Do you like think Jason t- Peters... Jason Peters seems like the guy who will wait out the right offer. Maybe, but I think he was waiting out a chance to play. Maybe more so. I, and again, I tried finding the contract, and there's been nothing has been reported on it hours later. Um, so which makes me think that it's not a contract worth reporting. Um, oh. I think Peters may have been waiting for a chance to play because he's not going to come back and be a backup. Where with Peters, you can promise him the right guard job. You can be like, "Hey, come in, get in shape. You're going to be the right guard." And if Thomas is out, you're going to be the left tackle. Because you knew the Giants weren't going to do that before Week One when they have Mark Lewinsky. But, wh- but what about why didn't they be like, "Hey, we Monday want you"? Morning. Yeah, and, and, and be like, "Hey, you, before you know, Seattle called." You know that's not how front offices work. Why not? You, they did it with Jalen Smith. What's the difference who, between who bringing there? him and Jalen Smith in? Well, the, the difference between him and Jalen Smith is that you didn't have an interior linebacker that you draft a top 100 overall or a free agent that you're giving somewhat substantial money to. That's the yeah, difference. But it's so bad with Golinski that you could. I know, no I know, but the, you know how front offices and coaching staffs work, though. There's a top 100 investment at guard, top 100 draft pick, and there's a substantial cap hit that's, that Mark Golinski has. That's the difference between that and Jalen Smith. The performance is the same. Kowinski was so bad that I I don't think they're going to be like, I don't know if they're going to have their pride to be like, do that. It'd It'd be Nate Solder level of pride to do that. Here's the one that just happened with the Bengals though. And I don't know how his health is. I should have asked my friend, Mike Sons who covers the Bengals. Apparently his knee is bad. He's Leo Collins. Yeah. Cause that could be a guy where it's no, you don't bring him in for the year. You, if you have faith in his knee or whatever, he could come in and be a good guard, and you can actually give him a real contract. Like, hey, it's this amount this year, and then it's obviously backloaded. 
But again, I don't see any it's of that good. happening. Um, so it's just I, you, you, you got to live with what you have for the yeah, most Yeah, I don't think there's and anything they can do in season that's going to save the line. It's I hope Azudu gets better and play Azudu. Yeah. It's still more on Neil than the guard, though. What do you mean? It, like, ta- right tackle is just in g- generally more important and more valuable. And Evan yeah, Neal will, will be the one to decide the fate of the offense more than the right guard will. Yeah, and there's just no way Glowinski can repeat that performance on a week-in, week-out basis. I just don't know if it's possible. We can see Neil struggle like that week-in, week-out. Yeah. Dude, Glowin- you know, you highlighted the O-line report and, you know, even your little low-light tape that you put out of Glowinski the, you know, on, on Tuesday morning, too. Glowinski is just doing things that a 31-year-old NFL veteran just should not be doing. Like, it literally did look like Nate Solder level of effort that he was giving at times. And I, and I really don't throw that around lightly because Nate Solder was a player that did say that I'm not really – trying to get my body ready for football. I'm kind of just here taking a paycheck. He he literally said that heading into the 2021 season. So, um but Mark Lewinsky's 31 <laughs> and he's doing this. So, just doesn't look physically ready to play. No. No. All right, next question. Next question is coming from Chris at Chris Kennedy underscore 25. With Thomas's health in question right now, if he was to miss time, would you move Evan Neal to left tackle? Or with how bad he's been, you can't trust him at all there? Maybe would help his confidence. Uh, Bobby, I'll answer this quick. No, I would not move Evan Neal to left tackle unless do you... Oh, quick, do you agree or disagree with that? I agree 100%. Okay, so it would be Matt Parrott or Tyree Phillips at left tackle. I guess maybe we would lean Matt Parrott. I Tyree do, Phillips is on the Eagles. Oh, forgot about that. I do think... I think because you have such a quick turnaround against the San Francisco 49ers, I do think the Giants should think about if Thomas is limping and physically limited, I do think they should think about sitting him this Sunday. And I don't say that lightly, but I do think they should think about sitting him. And then, hey, you want to run the ball? We're going to run the ball 40 damn times. Do, do you, you think it's going to heal? Do yeah, you, again, do I'm you not, think I'm it's going to if if, but, I, if you think it's going to significantly heal by having that extra four days, then yes. But if you don't think that you can't you can't run out there without like, again he's you can't operate an offense without him. Yeah. You can't. You have to do what you did against the Panthers in 21, where you roll out. You just can't, you just can't operate that way. So you the answer is you die if Andrew <laughs> Thomas does not play. <laughs> You pray you get to work some fluky offense, your defense plays really well, and you're able to make no mistakes and make a play here or there in the offense, have Dante Pettis complete a pass to Daniel Jones, and 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 pray nothing bad happens. Because you can't like you you gotta hope Parrot is okay. Cause and even that is again it is unreal how valuable he is. Yeah, I just I need him here for 17 games. I need him here for 17 and and if that extra 4 is the difference between putting him in further jeopardy. Also fuck special teams. Like just I hate it. I I no name me the good thing that has come from special teams besides hey Graham Gano's good. Kicking a field goal. Great. What I hate special teams. I hate it. 
Don't act like you love it and you enjoy it and you like analyzing it. Stop. I'm sorry if you do. Sorry, Joe Judge. Um, sorry, yeah, David it's, Powers. It's, it's it's brutal. It's brutal. Uh, you can't like, I've like um, it's it's Andrew Thomas is so important that I've kind of just like not accepted the fact that he could miss a game. Next, next question. Next question, uh, Joe Lagrippo. Let's get positive. Everyone is freaking out right now, rightfully so. What are a few positives you guys have from week one to ease the nerves a little bit as the Giants head into week two and beyond? But can I take this first, Bobby? Yeah. I want to talk about the secondary. Deontay Banks and Trey Hawkins, their physicality. Like, they, they were ready to rock and roll. They were ready to bring it. And I think even though I think Deontay Banks played better than Trey Hawkins, just from a performance standpoint, but both of them were ready to bring it to the Dallas Cowboys and especially Deontay Banks chirping at receivers like he brought that swagger and that confidence that we saw that he had in Maryland. And man, for you know some of the concerns that we had about starting rookie corners, that was the least of our worries. Deontay Banks, especially, really looking good. Uh, that first red zone drive where the Dallas, you know, they're driving down the field or they get the ball and you know they 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 only allow a field goal. Deontay Banks, uh, who was running a corner route, and uh, they're then Deontay, tied in. Deontay Banks comes off. Xavier McKinney is in coverage. Deontay Banks comes off the receiver and helps break up a pass and force an incompletion. That's awesome stuff. There were even some plays like, the, remember that Gallup attempt? Well, well, that's that one play you mentioned in the end. Yeah. Like, go watch the the film breakdown of out of college. That like exact play was on there. Now it wasn't in the red zone, but it was like in zone where I talk about like his, his instincts in zone. He plays more free and loose. Like that was that exact same play. It was the exact same thing, just with a little more space because they weren't in, in within the ten yard line. The pass attempt to Michael Gallup on the left sideline, where Deontay Banks pushed him out of bounds. He did lose the release, but really nice job playing through the entire process of a catch. Uh, Gallup's you know uh, feet go up in the air. Pushes him out of bounds. Really nice physical hit. Gets him out of bounds. There were even there was even some plays where Michael Gallup, where he didn't lose the release and he was staying in phase. The Trey Hawkins pass interference play where Leonard Williams got the QB hit. Deontay Banks' side of the field versus Michael Gallup stayed with him through the release, stayed in phase the entire time. Um, so I thought that was really positive. Xavier McKinney played with his hair on fire, and I'm talking run fits, man coverage, blitzes through all three of those phases. Xavier McKinney played really well. So that's the secondary. I thought the run defense in general looked pretty good as well. Um, besides, there was like one play where they allowed a 20-plus yard run when Leo and Dex weren't on the field. But I thought the secondary came ready to rock and roll, which we did have concerns about the secondary coming in. But also, they didn't, Dallas didn't really throw the ball a lot. Yeah, I mean, I was impressed. Banks didn't play the second half either with Cramp, but I was impressed with Banks with what we saw from him. Um, Hawkins, I thought, for the six-round rookie expectation, I thought he looked good. There was a time where CeeDee Lamb just kind of cooked him on the sideline, but that's also... C and CeeDee Lamb just adore owns Adore Jackson. We can't go into games against the Cowboys and expect Adore Jackson. Nope. Like, CeeDee Lamb owns Adore Jackson. And I'm not just talking about the rubber out. Like, he just beats him consistently. Um, yeah, so... And then McKinney, I thought, had a stellar, a stellar game. Like, my favorite play of the game was that when McKinney bumps up uh, CeeDee Lamb coming across the formation and then goes and gets a quarterback hit. Like, that was my favorite play of the entire game. Um, I thought the D-line death, like, show, like sh showed that they... 
they're not going to be gashed in the run the way they are. Like, I think there's a couple times where McFadden was out of place, not by a mile, but out of place. But okay, okay, for the most part was solid. And here's going to be my biggest positive takeaway. We still have a good coaching staff who knows how to adjust, and they have upgraded players from last year and won't have all the bad, fluky shit happen like they did, like they did again from balls popping up uh, due to rain and turning into pick sixes. Hopefully, we'll have no more blocked field goals. Hopefully, John Michael Smith gets the, like snaps. That should be an expectation. No more bad snaps. Um, and they won't have to play the Dallas front every single week, even though we're going to play some really good fronts. So that's my other one. Yeah. Why don't you read a question from Mr. Brownstone? Oh, yes. Uh, question from Mr. Brownstone. You just wait for this. This was a last-minute ad. Can better help fix the Giants' O-line and pass rush? And oh boy, I think they may, because this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Maybe you're thinking about a career change, or you feel like your relationship needs some TLC. Whatever it is, therapy can help you map out your future and trust yourself to find the way forward therapy is helping is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries and empowers you to be the best version of yourself if you're thinking of starting therapy why don't you go ahead and give better help a try it's only online entirely online designed to be convenient flexible and suited to your schedule anytime that you want to switch therapists you can and there's a brief questionnaire to get matched with the licensed therapist get let therapy be your map Bobby Skinner with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Giants to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Giants. Bobby Skinner, you'll be glad you did. You'll be glad you did. All right, Justin, last question. Gridiron Guru at Gridiron Guru. This is becoming a very frequent thing. Uh, I don't know if people... I think there are a lot of people that are joking about this, and maybe some people are serious. How is it possible that at Bobby Skinner underscore is that bad as an O-line coach? So I hate explaining the joke, but I just think it's been funny and I do want to talk about it on the pod. So it's the end of the pod, so I can talk about it. Show's over. And I, maybe this guy listens. There is this one guy who legitimately, like Big Mook or something like that. And he and maybe he does, maybe he's messing with me. But at least at one point, he legitimately thought I influenced the Giants' decision. Like, not because they look at my Twitter, but because like I'm part of the organization. And yesterday it hit the fan because there's obviously like, it's like kind of been a joke, like hashtag fire Bobby Skinner. And there's people who understand that joke and they'll, they will reply under the tweet saying like, Bobby, you're a horrible O-line coach or something. But then yesterday people started taking that and going at those people. I'm like, you dumb son of a bitch. He's not the offensive line coach, Bobby. Like, so it's become a, a very funny, uh, war in the mentions and i just i decided like i'm not replying to any of them i'm just gonna let people go at it because i get it like if you see someone say that you'd be like hey they're stupid so I, i'm explaining it here um but i also want to ask you justin when all the coaching additions were hired in january and february of 2022 yep the one that we it's hard to judge position coaches but the one that we came away from the most with the least, like, eh, Optimism. It was Bobby Johnson. Basically, yes. based off of stuff that happened in Buffalo, our conversations with people who cover the Bills. Um, and... I just tweeted, at, uh, fire Bobby Skinner, by the way. Hashtag fire Bobby Skinner. It's, it's okay. But it's, it, so here's <laughs> the thing. It is very hard to judge position coaches. 
So it's it's hard for me to really want a position coach fire without knowing like inside stuff, right? Like you look back at the Colombo fire and you're like, man, that was one of the best things Joe Judge ever did. Because we now we know the information that came out from that. Here's what I will say. We praise Jerome Henderson as a DB coach because of what he's produced on the field. We Look praise at his rookie corners. Look at his as, rookie corners. Again. Look at Jordan Riley. With Bobby Johnson. And and I'm, I actually don't blame him for the rotation either. That's a Brian Dable criticism. Brian, Bobby Johnson didn't go rogue and decide to rotate guards. That's a, that's a head coach decision. Bobby Johnson has done nothing to prove that he's a good offensive line coach. Right. So this isn't like fire, but like because again, it's hard to judge position coaches. Um, but and also it's like players at the end of the, at some point have to take it, take accountability for themselves, and a lot of times it's like, hey, this guy can't physically hang with this. So, um, but also fire me because I am I am the offensive line coach. Yeah, fire Bobby Skinner. Um, and then there's some people who are earnestly like Bobby Skinner could do a good job. Well, it's like no, I could not. Nope. There, that is, there is so much difference from what we do compared to what NFL coaches do. Yeah. Um, and you would be tweeting to fire me very quickly. How different – end of pod question. How different is what Bobby Johnson preaches with those horizontal sets versus vertical sets? How different is that from what the rest of the NFL is running? Like, is that's, that such a lot an- of the NFL does. That's, that's an okay. NFL-wide thing. The issue with me last year was like with Neil, it was not working. Now that's not the issue with Neil right now. Okay, it's, it's just not. player development. Player development. Yeah. Like if you let Neil vertical set, like like Neil vertical set on that screenplay, and I don't put screenplays in a, in any time O line report because the point is to let these guys get like past you. Now you're not supposed to let them by you initially because then they get. They hit Daniel Jones like Parsons, but Neil vertical set it on that screenplay, and Parsons just killed him inside. So yeah. there's also like that's that's the that's the downfall of vertical setting is it gives a quicker pass to the quarterback if you get beat inside. Where if you well, set together and it's supposed to be better versus stunts, despite the fact that Mark Lewinsky and Evan Neal can't pick up a stunt for the for you know, to save their lives. And with player uh, development, I'm starting to get really worried about the 2022 draft being so different from the 2023 draft. Kayvon Thibodeau, hey, fifth overall pick. Tough to mess that up. We still feel good about you. Daniel Bellinger is is fine for what he is, right? But every other pick, is there not major question marks? And I'm talking about the guys that were really that are really worth talking about. And that's uh Evan Neal, that's Wandell Robinson. That's Cordell Flott. Wandale is what Wandale is. Like, I, it's not player Josh development. Josh Josh like, Azudu, Cordell Flott would be the two ones. Like, Cordell Flott not being able to – he was injured this past game. But him just being like, nah, yeah, it's – they gave up like a week in the camp at, at that speaks a lot. And we talked right. about – like, it's not a coaching issue there. Because you have JMS at center who looks – you know, one game in – who looks solid. And, he, and he's taken that job and he and he's run with it. Versus the guys from the 2022 draft class are just have not, you know? Yeah. Yep. All right, Justin, that's a mailbag. I thought it was a good week one mailbag. I hope people enjoyed it. If you're listening to the very end, we appreciate you. And if you didn't listen to the very end, we appreciate you. Even though you're not hearing me say that I appreciate you. 
Um, so we'll be back Friday with a preview pod. We'll see you then. We're going to win. We're going to beat the damn Arizona Cardinals. Tell a friend about the pod. How about that? Hashtag tell a friend. We'll see you then. Until then, let's go big blue. <laughs>